Hey, Jen. Hey, Tina. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. You're listening to Speaking of Racism. doing my first hosting on speaking of racism <laughs> let it go Larry. and i am here with the wonderful beautiful skin is popping to the gods melanated queen letty 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 literally who is formerly the host of sincerely letty but now is the host of i don't want to mess up the title of your new podcast history girl. shows us okay I was going to say that, but I wasn't confident in myself. You're fine. So this is Letty's biography that I'm creating, which is I know Letty to be a historian. And by historian, I mean formally educated to study history. Letty also has a background in conflict mediation and practice. I'm just reading out uh, Letty's resume, not on a piece of paper, y'all, but actually like in real life, right? Letty is also someone who is very, very, very much committed to the cause of anti-racism and getting people all the way together. And that is how I know Letty. Um, I started following your work about two years ago. I think the first thing I ever listened to was, oh gosh, it was a podcast episode. I mean, I don't remember what podcast episode, but I listened to the podcast episode and then I went to the website and from the website, I followed you on Instagram. I was like, more, 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 more. And so when I thought about who should I talk to about Juneteenth, nothing, nothing, nothing else, no other name came into my mind except for your sis. So today we are talking all things Juneteenth. Can I get mm -hmm. an amen? Amen. That's what we're doing today. I felt that one in my soul, actually. <laughs> okay, so 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 here's what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, the actual day is June 19th, 1865, mm -hmm. right? When the Union Army rolls up in Galveston, Texas, mm -hmm. and tells the enslaved people there that they are free, right? And from now on, June 19th will forever be celebrated as Juneteenth. So let's go there. Let's just go into like the history, the matter of fact history, Letty, um, yeah. of what happened that day, that moment in time, and why that is such an inspirational moment for us all. Yeah, I mean, definitely um, June 19th, 1865, but I would actually go back to January 1st. Okay, that's why we got a historian. On the, on <laughs> yeah, the you have to go back because it was uh, so Freedom's Eve was the eve of January first, eighteen sixty-three. So um, it was the first watch night. Whenever these services took place, actually, you still have watch night services in where I grew up, like Southern Black Baptist churches. Yeah. Um, but you had enslaved people in confederate states uh who were declared legally free after the emancipation proclamation took effect right exactly. but people say oh but lincoln freed the slaves he did not do that lincoln didn't even care about the slaves he, he just didn't care time. he actually didn't care about enslaved people he he did, did not, not. Um, and so that's like a huge misconception and it's just completely wrong history that's been told to glorify a white man that white people want to absolve from racism, right? So yes. there's yes. that. So really, yeah, it goes back to January 1st, 1863. And also the Emancipation Proclamation, it's, it, it's not like people said, oh, okay, let's Let's follow the rules. Let's abide by the law. Are you kidding? <laughs> it's yeah. the furthest thing that happened. So everyone was not immediately immediately free either. So emancipation. So I'm gonna backtrack because I want to be able to track people here. So yeah. we had the people who were enslaved in Confederate states who were made like temporarily free, right, Letty, because of the documentation by Lincoln. But that Kinda. didn't ban, but that didn't ban slavery, right? Right. Well, yeah, because emancipation though also was not implemented in Confederate states. It wasn't until the Union soldiers went to the Confederate states and they were Union occupied okay. Confederate 
states okay so that's also yeah. something else people don't realize it's yeah. not like they're like all right everyone below the mason dixon line has to follow the- no 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 yeah because no, no. <laughs> there is a lot more tied up in that yeah okay and so then after the union wins the war mm-hmm. right then wins we're the talking war. about right <laughs> i'm gonna put air quotes there the wins the war yep wins the war mm-hmm. and so then everyone's like okay now we're one happy family again and Congress passes the Emancipation Proclamation that will, no, the 13th Amendment. Right. So the 13th Amendment wasn't ratified until December 6, 1865. So you had these states that were actually still allowing slavery to gotcha. happen. So again, for people who are listening, December 6, 1865, but Juneteenth, right, as we're saying, was June 19th, 1865. So it just goes to show um, white power, first of all, mm-hmm. right, like white supremacy, and the lens that this country has always gone to uphold capitalism, because uh, yeah. that was a big part of it too. Because also with this, with the Union soldiers, it's it's not like they were fighting because they cared about enslaved people. Because actually, whenever you hear this um, this rhetoric about anti-slavery in the North, it wasn't just people think anti-slavery meant anti-enslaved people, and that's not true. So people were anti-slavery, but they were still pro-slave. And so that's why you still had anti-Black racism, right? Uh, I know I just said a lot right there. And I got excited because I'm like, yes, lady, yes, 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 yes. Okay, let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. Watch night. Watch night. Let's go back to watch night. So what happened there? Yeah, I mean, so another significance of watch night is that New Year's Eve was also usually a time it was not the only time, but it was um, a big time for enslaved families to be split up, like violently split up um, and sold and separated. And it's just, yeah. And so you would already have enslaved families on those nights clinging to one another because they knew one represented, which is also why Christmas was not something that was joyous for black people and actually Harriet Jacobs talks about it in her book um incidents in the life of a slave girl she actually Mm -hmm. talks about this same thing so if people listening want to go get that and read it they should and um yeah so it it, but it but it was also a time of hope though because hope is something that we see throughout history whenever it comes to black people um hope is what she saw after and during Juneteenth like June 19th, 1865. And watch night, yeah, it just signifies the same hopefulness and the same strength. We're talking about January of 1865, where 1863. Oh, 1863. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so you have two years. You had two years, two years until Texas decided. And other states said like they were going to care. But the thing, uh, but see, here's the so thing about saying, Juneteenth. So, wait, so Letty, just to be clear. So you're saying that the enslaved people as early as 1863 were just waiting to see when that, um, you know, that that military action would come into their spaces. Yeah, and but it's... it's and- yeah, but it's also very important to understand the way that communication worked at the time. So you didn't just yeah. readily have everyone knowing what was going on yeah. because that's not how news spread, right? Like news yeah. spread by word of mouth. You had a lot of enslaved Black people who could not read. Um, yeah. You also, during, from 1862 to 1865, you had like 500,000 enslaved people from the South escaping to the North only yeah. to actually become many of them contraband that's a whole other conversation um <laughs> whole other conversation whole but, different conversation <laughs> yeah so but they're like, getting you whispers. had that so you're so the enslaved peoples are getting whispers that something is around the corner yes and also though another thing to note is in 1863 right whenever you had these enslavers who were hearing about this um you also had enslavers in Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, in these like Eastern Southern states. I'm, I'm seeing a map in my head, so it makes sense to yeah. me. But they started migrating to Texas to escape the Union Army's reach. So 
they were like, mm, let's go to Texas. And so yep. you had all of these enslaved Black people, like 150 to 175,000 enslaved Black people who made this trek west. And so, yeah, this is from a book I um, reference. It's called Been in the Storm So Long, The Aftermath of Slavery. Um, and it just basically looked like everyone was going to Texas. And so that's why whenever we look at things today, right, when you look at these southern states today, we have to consider this as well and what it meant to keep your enslaved people and or really to break the law actually uh and the government to co-sign it because okay. they also didn't care right so, so this is what i'm following so we've got the group of enslaved our ancestors who are like hey we've heard you know especially after the war starts that any minute now we will be given our freedom right but then we also have the enslavers who are doing everything they can, including, to your point, breaking the law to find ways to, quote unquote, keep their property safe mm -hmm. from the Union Army, the Union Army, and that that radical Abraham Lincoln, right? Mm -hmm. So all of this creates this cocktail that manifests or brings some kind of manifestation in June of 1865. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's just, it's just also really important too, whenever we talk about this history to not just um, think about the physical actions and think about the mental and emotional turmoil that black and slave people were adding on to themselves too, right? Like having this hopefulness and everything, and then only to find out, wait, we're still, and also after 1865, it is not like these enslavers just said no. We're not there yet. No. Let's, let's hold on to that because I think that can't be stated enough. Again, Letty, I can't remember when the Civil War starts. Do you know? I mean, roughly when does it start? 1861. So as early as 1861, you know, Black folks are hearing whisperings and pondering that. A Lincoln's going to come down. The Union Army's going to come with a force, right? Um, and they will be free. And so this idea, like you said earlier, hope that any minute now, our lot in life is going to change. And moreover, that hope, I mean, to some degree, I imagine that hope wasn't necessarily for some people just rooted in Abraham Lincoln and, and you know the idea that the president was going to make all things well but for some people maybe it was this idea that white this is like these white people are going to finally do right by us well yeah I mean because the the idea that Lincoln did not free and sway people is something that's rather new and I put new in air quotes because um as as you study history, right? Uh, history doesn't just, these interpretations don't just stay the same. You keep adding to them and yeah. interpreting the interpretations. And so of course, yeah, Lincoln was seen. And I'm not saying that people can't sit here and look at the fact that the Emancipation Proclamation was like a precursor-ish to the end of the Civil War. Yes, you can have both and. You can say that and also yeah. see that Lincoln actually, uh, he said, he said that he um, would not free enslaved people. Like if he could go around doing that, then he yeah. would. Right. So. Well, and the both end of it, what does it mean for this person to be someone who was morally opposed to the enslavement, but also did not see the humanity of black folks. Right. So that's that mm -hmm. other part too. It wasn't like he was like, they're human and deserve rights. Right. right? It was more like, Really, which gosh, lady, we're like going on five different tangents because we we could have a whole nother conversation about reinstating white labor. Because for a lot of abolitionists, it wasn't necessarily even about like oh, black people are being treated harmed or being harmed in the system. It was also like white people are hungry and not giving opportunities for labor. So what do we do to reassert them in our labor force? But that has nothing to do with anything. 
So <laughs> no, but it but it does because and I'm gonna skip ahead for just a second because what yeah. you just said does because that is why whenever people talk about the fact, quote unquote, the fact that the reconstruction era, oh, it just it just failed. No, y'all actually just completely demolished that. Like y'all did that because what so what you just said, right, <laughs> about poor white people needing help, there were actual things in like the reconstruction era that were being put in place to help them but instead they chose whiteness they chose white supremacy and they chose violence right so uh sort of like what they congratulations, do you voted against yourself right the same thing that they do today and so yeah i just okay, wanted I'm to put that to put little thing in, in there. 1865 <laughs> so 1865 and we finally see that the, the longing that our ancestors had manifest, at least for the abolishment of slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Why? So you, I think you already answered the question why Texas was so important, but just for listeners who may have like zero background here, can you tell us like what happened in Texas that day? I mean, you mean on actual like June 19, 1865? Yeah, so Uh it was technically in Galveston, Texas. So Mm -hmm. I don't want people thinking that it was just all over Texas. It was like Galveston, Texas. Um, That's where you had like these 2,000 or so Union troops arrived and they announced that these 250,000 or more enslaved Black people in Texas were free by executive decree. And so that's why you have June 19th. This is Juneteenth for people. I should have said that at the very beginning, but um yeah so actually i have the um general order that was read and i'll just read some of it yes i always have a primary sources i always have just stuff also side note letty has a podcast and letty will pull up primary documents on you so fast (laughs) yeah so uh it read the people of texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the united states all slaves are free this involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor the freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages i'm gonna get back to that they are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that, and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. So people might read this, right, and be like, oh, look, that was a good thing. Okay, I'm going to go back to that sentence that said the freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. Okay, so then we look at laws, executive orders, whatever, right? There's always a way to find loopholes in that there's a catch there's a catch right and so this happened right 1865 what happened after this though actually isn't in enough history books i don't believe but this is a fact like this this stuff that i've read many many times and you had black people who found out they were free and they were running away right they're escaping they're swimming through lakes and rivers and all this stuff and they're getting shot they're getting chased they're getting lynched yeah um, there was like massive violence. Uh, that's not just happening in Texas. It started happening in other states in the South in 1863 because white people were angry. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, there's like a gap between 1865 and 1868 that is too often just left out by white people who want to acknowledge slavery, but then look at um reconstruction okay no let's let's acknowledge those those three years right so um yeah and it's also incorrect and I think I said this before to think that all union soldiers were all about the freedom of black people that's that's not it uh at all but that's I'm not going to get into that honestly Kina because that's a whole podcast just about the economic and capitalistic ties with slavery yeah right so um because that's 
people may not know those people in the north actually owned land in the south and they were still plantation owners it didn't matter if you did not live in the south you could have been in delaware you would have had you could have property in the south so yeah in addition to the ways they profited from the product created exactly on top of that yes exactly on top of that right so let's go back to this 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 legislation because you know when you're reading that to me letty the first thing that comes to mind is where's the lie at because i hear several Mm -hmm. i hear several in that document yeah so the whole thing's a lie kidding actually i'm not kidding uh so um the part that says this involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. So I want people to connect that right to these promises that were made to free black people about 40 acres and a mule, because this can go back to that. And know also though, okay, that Texas wasn't the only state that had some kind of decree like this. That's not like all the states actually eventually did, but what happened, um, what happened, and I don't, I could linger on that, but I don't want to because I want to show the connection with the Reconstruction era and with Juneteenth. That's yeah. really, really important. And it's often just not a connection that's made because whenever you look at the 13th Amendment, what that actually did, it did not and not free us <laughs> and just yeah and it uh, definitely and didn't end slavery now. and it right. definitely didn't end slavery right it might have banned chattel enslavement you know um, right but technically the, yeah like the institution of it but yeah. it just allowed room for convict leasing and prison labor camps and these things and um can you talk about convict leasing because i think yeah. that's something else that stood out to me is to tell people to maintain, like, stay where you are at your homes. Well, that, well, so there was that. And then you also had sharecropping. Mm-hmm. And so, but you also have to understand that you had a huge percentage of Black people, well, not huge, a large percentage of Black people who were like, oh, but I could just stay here and I could just work and I could just make mm-hmm. money because- yeah oh, well, the president said that we can do that. And mm-hmm. so you think about the innocence, right, of these Black people who did, who did feel hope, who just had this rush of uh, all these thoughts about their families and reuniting and everything and making a way for themselves. And um, then you also, though, you still had these white people who were like, okay, let's just lie to them. Let's lie to them. Let's create this system called sharecropping. And People listening can go look up that, can go look that up and they can educate themselves on that because they need to. Um, but we're going to do this and it's actually just going to bamboozle them, right? And just allow us to re-enslave them. Um, convict leasing. Uh, it's very easy for people, for people to think about these images, right? Of Black people in the striped um, mm-hmm. chain gang uh, looking garb. And they're like, oh, it was just prison. Absolutely not. Convict leasing, um, was much deeper and much sinister than that. It was extremely, it was, uh, there's a book called Slavery by Another Name um, by Douglas mm-hmm. Blackman. He talks about this and you had people who were like, this is worse than slavery. Some of them said that, right? So yeah. um, comic leasing was just slavery all over again, basically. So Making I'm, a law, making false laws, false accusations. To and on their, at the drop of a hat, like at the drop of mm-hmm. a hat, it, it, because there was no, because white people were the power, they could do whatever they wanted, right? And so um, they can arrest, so they can arrest someone and mm-hmm. say, you're breaking this law. Mm-hmm. And because you're breaking this law now, you are like, you know, we, oh, I feel like we're going into so many different directions, but now you're in this legal system. Mm-hmm. where now you can go back and work for free mm-hmm. for your former enslaver mm-hmm. because this is your punishment for being a lawbreaker. Yeah. And, and so that's why, and I mean, that does go along with the conversation about Juneteenth and why it's so important to celebrate Juneteenth. Um, I think about Isabel Wilkerson's book, The Warmth of Other Sons. There's a part in the book where she talks about 
how people from Texas carried Juneteenth with them to Oakland and to Seattle and other parts of the country. Like they carried this pride and this, this strength and this hopefulness with them to all these other places. Uh, and so that's why you have Juneteenth celebrated and like not just in Texas, it's not just in Texas, it's all across the country. And to be honest with you, I didn't even know Juneteenth was a thing until college had no idea had no idea I I think that's I think that's when I found out too yeah yeah so yeah I I just I want people to understand and I will just just recap this I want people to understand that June 19th 1865 was not just this day where all of the black people were free and everything was fine no um I want people to understand like the emotional and mental and physical right like trauma that was enacted on black people uh, and understand that the civil war and these union soldiers who went and marched in they were not about black people they were not yeah. about that right well so, i mean that we talk about this the freedman borough wasn't even necessarily about black people right as yeah. an institution that was supposed to set up rights protections mm-hmm. you know um and I'm trying to say this without sounding anti-Black, but I mean, it shouldn't be a shocker because here are groups of people who have not seen the humanity in Black people. Why would we expect a war to have been the thing that would have made them, every like everybody wakes up all of a sudden and they're like, oh my gosh, just this entire group of people that we have dehumanized and racially terrorized, <gasps> they're just like us and we should care. Like, why would a war have been the thing to make that happen in the first place? Right. And that's what people need to acknowledge. Um, And people need to understand what happens with uh, memory, right, over time and how we, how people want to create these memories and memories that absolve themselves from any responsibility, from any atrocities that they continued to perpetuate, right? Um, And so, Yeah. yeah, that's, that's just not what happened. And so that's why whenever we talk about Juneteenth today, it's not just about 1865. It's about everything between then and now, right? It's, it's about what Juneteenth represents today and why it's still, a. I would say it is still um, a time of joy and hope for Black people. But what I've also noticed is it's this time too where white people are trying to also use it to get money for their company um, okay so i want to stop us wait i want to stop us there because i th- that's a segment of this conversation but i wanted to read a quote to you though okay because i was like the only smart thing i'm going to do on this recording with letty is read this quote that i didn't even write <laughs> <laughs> it's from al edwards a civil rights activist and a formal texas state representative and al said every year we must remind successful, successive, successive generations that this event triggered a series of events that one by one defined the challenges and responsibilities of successive generations. That's why we need this holiday. And when I read that quote, I think of like the, the, the Judaic like um, practices of reading out loud the story of the Passover, right? Yes. And what that has been. connection. Okay, look at me knowing, you know, I didn't read some list, girl. You know, I didn't read some, some things. But is Juneteenth that for us? Is it, is it, does it have a a weight of Passover? Does it serve as a, a remembrance of sorts? And if so, what are those challenges, um, what are those lessons that this Passover moment can give us if you would deem it something similar? I mean, I feel like it's becoming that. I wouldn't say collectively for all Black people, it's been that, right? Because to equate it with the Passover is, um, which is really good to do. I just feel like it's, it could become that for more of us. Because like, I see Juneteenth very differently now because I didn't know about yeah. it before right so yeah. now yeah it is a time where I'm like it should be a holiday it should be and but also and this is kind of going off of your question but I'm going to say it 
it's also though like America needs to or not America the United States needs to understand that it's not enough to just recognize Juneteenth as a holiday. That is not enough. We need to talk about reparations because if you're going to sit here and act like you care about Black people because you're recognizing a holiday, white America, especially I'm talking to y'all, then you also need to have a conversation about reparations, an honest conversation about reparations. Not this like toying with it, not throwing the word around in like the month of June because that's exactly what happens to appease Black people. No, like stop with the performative stuff right but see and this goes with what you said kina with the passover right i'm just going to go here for a second it's the same thing people do with that it's the same mm-hmm. thing that white america wants to do with passover wants to do with jesus right especially for white yeah. evangelical christians this is it's very performative because it's actually y'all wouldn't even love jesus if if he was here because he wasn't a white man he was brown but talking okay. about it i mean so and, like and, and it's just a brown immigrant yes who went against one of the biggest government and, and that's a whole tangent right i, I know we, we thought thing. on five different tangents, five it's, different tangents. it's just <laughs> and but i'm i'm glad that we are because i want people to understand how much goes into this it is not yeah. history is not linear his like it is yeah. not a one-way street you cannot in fact, see it that linear, way in fact if something is linear it was probably created by white folks Exactly. <laughs> I want y'all to know that I just dramatically looked in the mic and said exactly. <laughs> so if this is our Passover, if we could talk about that, what does this mean for us now? What does it mean for people like you and for me who are in 2021 really recognizing in new ways the the heightened toxicity of whiteness, the maintenance of white supremacy, the material realities of anti-blackness we mer- like we move through every day. We can't even wear a bonnet to mind our black business. So what does our generation need to learn from Juneteenth? What does Juneteenth tell us, give us? What lessons does it hold for us, Letty? I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me is hope in uncertain times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I think of whenever I think about Juneteenth is hope in uncertain times, but also the inability of this country to take our collective joy. Yeah, uh, those are two things. Those are the two things that that come to mind, and I want people to, I want Black people to start tapping into that. If yeah. they choose to, I'm not trying to tell black people what to do, but like if they yeah. choose to tap into that and really sit with what they think Juneteenth means, like what it means for them. This is we are we are not a monolith as as black people. Yeah. So Juneteenth to you may mean something deeper than it does to me or whatever, but I feel like it is a way in history to see, yeah, hope in uncertain times. Um uh, and actually. There's something I want to read by James Baldwin. Yeah, I'm just going to read it now because it's um, before I do podcast episodes, actually, I always read Baldwin before I do a panel, something like that. I always read Baldwin. He gives me some sort of uh, grounds me. Yeah. Um, Letty is the resident Baldwin scholar for all you Baldwin fans out there. He's just my favorite person ever in history. <laughs> just. I just don't know what else to say about him. He's just amazing. But yeah, so this is what he said in 1965. I mean, he was at Cambridge University. Um, he did a debate with William Buckley. If people have not watched that, go watch that because I can't even read things the way Baldwin said them. You have to just listen to how he said things. But so a hundred years after. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yes, there's a reason why I pick all the things I pick to read. (laughs) But he said, let me put it this way, that from a very literal point of view, the harbors and the ports and the railroads of the country, the economy, especially of the southern states, could not conceivably be what it has become if they had not had and do not still have, indeed, and for so long, so many generations, cheap labor. 
It is a terrible thing for an entire people to surrender to the notion that one ninth of its population is beneath them. And until that moment, until the moment comes when we the when we, the Americans, we, the American people, are able to accept the fact that I have to accept, for example, that my ancestors are both white and black, that on that continent, we are trying to forge a new identity for which we need each other, and that I am not a ward of America. I am not an object of missionary charity. I am one of the people who built the country. Until this moment, there is scarcely any hope for the American dream, because people who are denied participation in it by their very presence will wreck it. And if that happens, it is a very grave moment for the West. Mm. I don't know why, but for me, like that, it just makes me think about Juneteenth and it makes me think about the part where Baldwin said, like the same cheap labor that's still in existence in this country, right? And so that's why I say hope in uncertain times because we're still in uncertain times. We're still yeah. like, we're still out here dying. We're still out here demanding that this country see us as black people, demanding that they see us as like all our humanity is seen, but we like, that's what we keep fighting for, right? And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Baldwin is always fitting. I was thinking about what I feel like the takeaway for Black people is for Juneteenth. And I think for me, it comes back to like just learning how to affirm ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, I've told this story more than once. I'm okay with telling it like every time I get on an episode of a podcast, but um, there's a capital there's an old state capitol um, in the city I live. And it has a huge rotunda letty that um, is just gorgeous. It's like, I don't know how many pieces of glasses, um, how many pieces of glass are there or whatever, but I did a tour a few years back and the tour guide goes into great depth about how many pieces of glass and all the colors and the architecture and the design. And not once does he say who built it that one time, right? And I was at that space because it was a mentorship. So it was about 14 black and brown kids, you know, mostly black kids on this tour. And I kept thinking after that day, what a failed opportunity to have told those kids, look what your ancestors built despite experiencing the terror and the violence that they were yeah. living under. Mm -hmm. something that has sustained itself for centuries, something that is still beautiful, right? And so I think for me, the lesson of Juneteenth is not just looking at resilience, because we talk a lot about Black resilience. Yeah. But let's look at our sustainability. Mm -hmm. And this is why when I think about all those voter suppression laws and all this BS that's coming out the Woodworth, I'm like, you could do it if you want to. But no one has managed to, yes, you could try to dehumanize us, but we will always come out because what is in us is divine. We will find a way to circumvent every system and every roadblock. Is it exhausting? Hell yes. But stop trying to bury us. We yeah. are a seed, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's the lesson for Juneteenth is to remember that not only are we resilient, but we're a sustainable people. We create things that exist beyond us yeah. and we will continue to do that. Mm -hmm. I feel yeah. like the last thing, which probably shouldn't be the last thing, but I think it's important. <laughs> um, and I feel like this is our shared work too, is like what not to do for Juneteenth. <laughs> and you kind of hinted at it earlier, but <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to make space for that. Like stuff that people should not be doing, especially because as you, like to your point, more and more people know about Juneteenth. And some of those people are non-melanated, Letty. I don't know if you knew that. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I did not. There will be, you know, there will <laughs> That's be non-melanated non folks who may show up at the barbecue. Right. And so here's, here's the thing. Like right now, right. 
we're seeing all of the rainbow everything for mm -hmm. LGBTQ month. Okay. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of these companies are still very homophobic. Okay. Like talk putting, about it. Talk <laughs> like, about it. Like putting a rainbow up is not actually standing in solidarity. So putting but, a rainbow up and knowing your company has given millions of dollars right to uh politicians and companies that are very much sponsoring all types of anti-queer anti-trans yeah. programs and policies yes yeah. rainbow yeah. capitalism yeah exactly and that's what i see with juneteenth that's what i saw last year especially with juneteenth was, oh, you mean last year when all the white people decided racism was real? Right. Like they figured out, well, racism is real. <laughs> Man. Did but did I create that? Like, did, did we create that? I don't think we created that. Did any of right, the black is... people tell us about this before? I could have oh, sworn it. I would have, if they had told us. I know. We would yeah. have remembered. <laughs> and Letty and I, let me make it clear. We are not laughing at racism, y'all. We are laughing at white people who were like, I'm woke now. Oh, God. Yes. And, and but like, that's, that's the thing, right? Like, do not sit here and expect to be able to put yellow and black and red and green on your company logo in honor of Juneteenth. Like, are you paying black people? Are you hiring black people? Are you honoring black people? Probably not. Yeah. Like, you're probably not. Like, you're probably just wanting to be performative with the whole let's put the yeah. colors up. And that's not to say that people cannot recognize Juneteenth. Okay. Let me make that clear. It is not saying that white people, brown people cannot acknowledge Juneteenth and the importance of the day. It's what, it's the way they go about doing it. So it's not like, don't go around saying to black people, happy Juneteenth. And if black people don't respond to you getting offended by it, like that's, that's what not to do. That happened to me last year, actually. Uh, whenever people, Whoa. yeah, um, not on social, well, not in person because was quarantining last year during June. Yeah. But I mean, on social media, it was very interesting to see like, yes, if you want to share things about Juneteenth, do that. I mean, people share my posts on social media so many times throughout the day. I do not mind that at all. That is not what I'm saying. Please do share, right? Like share the information. But also like if you see something about Juneteenth, you don't need to be telling black people, send that to your racist white family members. Like you need to be educating them or like sharing that stuff with them and then directing them to black voices that they need to be learning from, right? So that's like one of the biggest things I say. That's like one of the biggest things I would say. Okay, yeah, I agree with you. Um, the performative needs to stop. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about the fact that some of the same people who were like, happy Juneteenth to you last year, probably probably went into election booths in the fall and voted for, again, politicians and other people who were conspired against black and brown people. You know what I'm saying? Well, right, because anti-blackness is still real right like anti-blackness mm -hmm. is and hasn't gone anywhere and yeah. if you're going to sit there and want to recognize Juneteenth, then you need to understand what it means to really recognize it and how that is all wound up in the humanity and the rights of black people um and so that means not getting exhausted and tired because you've talked about racism for a month yeah yeah. right and so or or to your point which this is something you didn't ask for but i'm still gonna give it i think a lot of times people feel like they're seeing our humanity letty but really they're consuming us mm -hmm. and so people need to learn the difference right like people need to learn the difference what is the difference between consuming the culture or consuming black people mm -hmm. versus actually seeing their fullness and like you said we're not a monolith you know what i'm saying to the extent that you see someone who looks black on Juneteenth and you're like, happy Juneteenth. And they're like, I immigrated here from like, you right. know, Nigeria. So I don't even know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, yeah. My people have never been enslaved, right? Yeah. So 
there's that component. I also feel like, you know, I, I had a friend last year who lives in a neighborhood, a local neighborhood that's called like plantation something. You know, people love to name neighborhoods plantation stuff. That's a whole nother podcast while y'all still trying to keep the legacy <laughs> any way Girl, you can. That's a whole podcast. <laughs> like, I'm just shaking my head because. You know, PSA y'all, stop naming stuff, plantation. Just saying, just saying, <laughs> stop, stop. But one of the interesting things they did in that neighborhood is they like created a neighborhood blog mm-hmm. that actually talked about like how that particular neighborhood was a part of the enslavement, was a part of chattel enslavement um, in our state. And so I would say that that's another thing for people to really think about doing for Juneteenth instead of like getting on the gram, you know, and flexing. Why not mm-hmm. find out your family roots relating to enslavement or your neighborhood roots? You know what I'm saying? Figure out how you and your ancestors have profited, mm-hmm. right? You know, so that's something else I would offer up. Do some learning, do some education, do some digging here, you know? And for me, the people that I do know who identify as white who have done that, um, you know, they talk about how difficult that is, but how they're thankful for the lessons of knowing the truth as opposed Mm -hmm. to running around and being not me not me but for some people for lots of people I think they would be able to see that the direct material um advantages they've had and Mm -hmm. their families have had because of the enslavement of black Africans in our country yeah so you could do that part Right. No, I, I definitely agree with you. And I'm also going to say here, like, yes, it is difficult whenever you are reading information, seeing information for the first time about your family. Yeah, that's, it's hard to see that. Sure. Um, like the conflict management side of me with like the mediation and like the grounding and yeah. the body, like what our nervous systems do. It's, it's, yes, like you're going to feel things, right? And that's okay, but don't let that be an excuse for you to just stop. Like, don't let that be an excuse because whenever I'm sitting here, a Black woman in this country, and I am thinking about walking outside or getting stopped by a cop, like we, we can't just stop living because of the racism that white people created and continue to benefit from. So- I say, yes. And, and here's also why I'm saying this. I have patrons um, that are part of my Patreon community. Uh, my patrons who we, we have these conversations, right? During lives, during webinars, during book club discussions. And I welcome those because I've seen the growth. And it's not like they're sitting here trying to get sympathy. We're having a conversation about like, okay, well, whenever this happens, um, this is what you could do. And so they, they, they do take that and they'll message me later and be like, oh, like, let me tell you what happened. And it's not so that they're getting a round of applause. That's, that's not why it's because they're glad that they're doing the work though. It's costing them some stuff though. It's, it's costing yeah. their family members, yep. right? Like it, yeah. it really is. And so I basically said all that to say, um, (laughs) like doing the work isn't pretty. It's just not. And doing the work isn't about you. You can read all the books. You can read all the articles. You can listen to all the podcasts. Right. But until you're taking action and I say this all the time, then what are you really doing? So lady, what you're saying is I can't just sign up for your (laughs) pop. I can't just get on your Instagram and that'd be the thing I did to fix it. That's not no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sis. Last question: How are you celebrating Juneteenth? Okay, so I'm going to be I'm going to be on a panel that week talking about Juneteenth. Don't read in the details about that yet. I'm doing that, but that that day, yeah, I'm just I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do that day. I'm going to honor myself. I'm going to. <coughs> If there's something locally I can do, um, there's something I will participate in, in that day, which I'm sure that there will be. Uh, but yeah, honestly, Kina, I want to, it's going to be a week long celebration for me <laughs> to be, to be real with you. So we doing Juneteenth all week, sis. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, but I just, I just really want to 
see that day, like what I want to do, like what I, like how I want to honor Juneteenth. Cause for me, it's deeper because I feel history very deeply and uh, I just like to sit sometimes and receive whatever I want to receive. Um, if I move to read Baldwin or whatever, or whoever, or listen to something or watch something, then I want to do that. But um, I'm a celebration myself. Like surviving every day is a damn celebration. So <laughs> yeah. I know one of the things I'm doing that day. What? I'm going live with you. Oh yeah, we are. <laughs> I totally forgot. I totally forgot. I feel like we all need to go. So you go, I go to the blackest place in our local area. And we should go live from those places. You know, deeply yeah. root ourselves in the culture. Yeah, if if there's Wi-Fi there. <laughs> <laughs> I had to say that. <laughs> we're gonna, like, no, we yeah, need to pray. Real. We need a we need a the pray the say the prayer that uh what's that Paula Wright prayer? You know, oh, when she called the African angels. We need to call the African God. angels to situate us with Wi-Fi access wherever we go. They like, were she very was calling the, the colonizing African angels because those were not mine. I was no, like, oh, baby, sisters. those African angels no. delivered the results. She called them. I think they delivered the results. She wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. We, you know what? I don't know why. See, tangent. Stop it, Kina. Tangent. Tangent. Okay, mm-hmm. so Letty and I will be going live. Yes. Um, more promotional material coming forth. Letty, for people who have never heard of your greatness today, how can they find you this? Yeah, so people can follow me on Instagram at sincerely.letty. And then um, I also have podcast, History Shows Us. You can stream that on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, Anchor, like the major platforms. And that also has a separate Instagram, which is at History Shows Us Podcast. And also Patreon. People can subscribe to Patreon. I have six different tiers. So you can choose what you want to have access to. Um, they're all, all the tiers are named after people in history. Go figure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I have a Stokely Carmichael tier, Shirley Chisholm tier, Angela Davis, James Baldwin, Maya Angelou, and Tony Morrison. And yeah, I love my Patreon community. Um, matter of fact, this month we're reading the book, My Grandmother's Hands. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of, I thought it'd be real, real serious. So yes, yeah, that's so yeah. awesome. Yeah, so people, like people can go should... to patreon.com slash Letty Shoemate to- People should also send Letty like $18.65 on Juneteenth. That's a wonderful idea. Or like a hundred- and $80.65. <laughs> I mean, or $1,865. Oh, <laughs> Just saying. Just going to throw that on Just out there. Saying. Yeah. We can, can we make that a thing like hashtag can we? can we? Can we do that? <laughs> because I'm off. <laughs> As, since it's always a pleasure. Thank you for being here for the yeah. Speaking of Racism podcast. Absolutely. And I am your I am your monthly host signing off. And thank you to Grapes for the music. The song is I don't know.